Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room, and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. Get your house in order before you criticize others. It's uh, It comes from a book that I've been reading by Jordan Peterson, uh, The 12 Rules for uh, to like eliminate chaos or something like that. But basically, and I think right now with uh, what we're going through, um, it's really easy to point fingers and kind of blame other people for problems. But I, I love this point about taking personal responsibility and accountability. So it's, you know, getting your house in order uh, first, you know, focusing on what you can do rather than uh, criticizing others. And I've been trying to just continually do that because it's really easy right now, especially when you get, when you even read any news source, it's really easy to point fingers at other people. So I've been trying to continually come back. And every time I have this thought of criticizing somebody else, trying to think about what can I do to get my shit together because there's plenty that I have to work on. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot easier and it's a great, great uh, game to play to pick on others and it makes you feel better, but it's just that short lived and, you know, coronavirus and all the election and everything that's going on. It's really easy to, to lose sight of what uh, personally we need to all accomplish. So that's something that I've been trying to, it's a mental model that I've really been trying to focus on and upgrade my commitment to what I've been up to. And, you know, the only person that I can, I really am accountable to is myself. So that's been something I'm trying to, trying to hammer in because it it's hard. I mean, it, you have to continually revisit or at least I do, I don't know, but that's been, that's been a big thing. So that's the takeaway message of the day. Yeah. Um, he, who lives in a glass house shall not throw stones, you know, I mean, uh, or something to that tune. I don't know what that old proverb is, but um, Jordan Peterson's 12 principles for uh, yeah. I don't know what, I can't remember what the title is. I think it's 12 principles. It's like for avoiding chaos or something. Yeah. For avoiding chaos Uh, is a great book. Um, I actually haven't picked it back up because, um, I read through it and then he started talking about this book. Um, I think it's about the gulag. Uh, and he's like talking about human suffering and then he begins to explain, like, you don't really understand suffering until you've read this book about the gulag. And so, um, I picked it up and started reading, reading that and I finished that. And then I went back to the book and started reading again. And he mentioned this book, uh, crime and punishment, and um, so that's Dostoevsky. And then I went and I read Crime and Punishment and I got totally derailed and fell in absolute love with that book. I think it was to this day, the book that has rocked me to my core the most. It was absolutely incredible mm. um, and also horrifying at the same time. Uh, and then I uh, got on the train. So now I'm in the middle of war and peace. And so I, I finally dipped my toe into Tolstoy. So That's I'm, so funny. I'm reading war and peace right now. Oh, you are? <laughs> yeah, I'm halfway through. Oh, I'm not quite. Uh, it is. It's a slog. Yeah. Um, 
Dolkachev just got shot in the duel by Pierre. Oh, yep. It's a a really good book, and I have found myself uh, getting into more of a reading flow as the farther along in the book I get. Yeah, I... I don't really, I love the war scenes, obviously, you know, the, uh, yep. the, the one about the aristocracy, they can get a little dry sometimes. I know Erica um, is wanting to read it now too. She's really like getting into it. So she's been reading it when I've been gone or whatever. And so mm-hmm. she likes the other scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's very funny to get uh, reading the same book and we, you know, we both pick out different things we like. So it's pretty entertaining. It's, yeah. but it is a really well-written book. My gosh. It's incredible. And I find that a lot of Russian writers um, have an enjoyable cadence to the literature. Um, there can be moments of exhaustive over sort of dramatization and description you know like mm-hmm. a guy can walk up two flights of steps and you know it'd be like a pair a, you know a, a paragraph and a half of everything that went on in his head during that time and you're like <laughs> it's it could be rather pedantic but interesting still um well one thing i like about it is how how honest it is about human nature you know it oh my god through. it's in your face yeah it's just like god you're right that's we are like <laughs> It's just so honest about what goes through people's minds yeah, and what they're thinking. And, you know, it's kind of talk, it's talking about, you know, very young teenagers and how they are behaving. And you're just like, God, that's just relate to it too much almost. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a good, a good book is a good way to lose yourself and read a lot more and, I was reading a quote the other day about reading is like you go through your life and you, if you don't read, um, you're, you're basically closing yourself off to all these other experiences that people that are really good narrators can bring you along rather than just having your daily, you know, I wake up, I sit at the computer, I work, I read kind of the same stuff, you know, like pulls you into, so it, expands your experiences a lot and diversifies you quite a bit just with your thought and what other people are thinking and you learn how others and this is I forgot I was talking about this with a friend of mine the other day how it's really great to learn how other people think you know and you can really get into somebody's brain by understanding you know by, by by their writing and listening to podcasts these are all really good ways to to help you grow your, your mindset and mentality. And, you know, there's a lot of these like moments where you just kind of wake up and you're like, gosh, why am I thinking like this? So. Yeah. I have heard that uh, some semblance of that quote, which is like, you know, reading is the opportunity uh, uh, to think another man's thoughts, Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. But we were talking about Jordan Peterson, and um, I had a conversation last night about Jordan Peterson and how he really turns off a lot of people. I happen to think he's a crusader for free speech right now, and I will put him—you know—him and Joe Rogan, uh, Gad San, um, Brent Weinstein. These guys are really like taking on the whole woke movement really head on. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's, uh, I actually think it's one of the biggest and most important like fights that's occurring today. Like I, I really honestly think we're having the potential of an infringement on human freedom and human uh, free speech. Completely. Like I, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a critical inflection point. And this brings me to the election because like, I understand, you know, Trump inciting whatever he does and, you know, people calling him whatever name you want to call him. Um, but my fear is that the left is going to push uh, less. I think the left is going to push, or I'm worried that the left is more likely to push a oppressive uh, agenda to human freedoms and free speech. Like that's that's my only concern about the left. I'm I'm very for progressive movements socially, you know, obvi- you know, obviously um, I just worry. I just hope that the left can stand up for free speech because at this point it looks like, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be blue for a while here. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, and it's interesting when you look at the YouTube views of these guys, Jordan and Joe, I mean, Joe Rogan has the mo- like one of the most listens to podcasts and the amount of traffic they're getting. And it obviously shows that there's a huge desire for that and a huge frustration if people continue to listen. And Joe Rogan's message hasn't changed. You know, he's been the same the entire time. So, you know, like continual listeners uh, kind of support that. So I think you're right right now the freedom of speech is difficult. And we were talking about that uh, the other day, a couple of my friends work for large corporations and they said, you can have one belief and that's all you can have. You know, there's not really, you can't speak your mind about a lot of things that um, are out there today. And it just, that free speech has been, is, is we're feeling encroached on the free speech thing. I think that was the message from what I was hearing from them. Yep. And that's, that's really my only reason for not wanting to support like a progressive agenda is because I feel like that is not, I don't feel like a defensive free speech is like a high priority of theirs. I think it's just like a total afterthought. So, and that, that worries me. Um, so my only hesitation for, you know, supporting those that side of the aisle like obviously i'm you know i'm for um you know renewable energy and you know reducing emissions and whatever but like if you don't defend an individual's ability to cut their you know to speak their mind um we're gonna get we're gonna get tyrannical really quickly you thought you thought trump was a fascist just wait Till we have actual fascism and limiting of people's free speech and limiting of people's right to protest. I mean, like that we will no longer be land of the free. Well, that was the difficult thing is when you, when um, the virus was early on happening, uh, it sounded like there was one protest that was, you could protest for, but you couldn't protest for another thing. So it really wasn't a freedom to protest. 
Um, and that could be just a sense, but it's like, if people believe something enough to protest with it, you know, as I would think in this country, we would be able to do that. Um, but that's not the sentiment or maybe it's, we could be misinterpreting things, but that's generally the sense I think I am feeling too. I know. And you got France over there. Like uh, they say that you got to work 32 hours instead of 31 and their, their entire Paris shuts down for, you know, four weeks saying how blasphemous this is. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, we just don't have that same sort of spirited um, political participation. It, we, we get up, for every four years and fight with each other. And I mean, it's just this whole last election cycle, I have stayed totally clear of news sources for the last four days because um, there's just no reason to pay attention anymore. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Like I was, I paid attention at the end of election night to see if there was going to be any sort of resolution. And it's, it's beginning, it's getting, you know, it, it's getting spun up and it's a job. There's I'll just wait until they tell me who wins and then we'll move on. And I don't need to spend energy, any attention or energy wasting my time on a solution or on a situation where I have no impact. And my, my participation and energy spent on it is nothing but draining on my own output and my own experience. Yep. Well, and you, you acted on it already. You voted. So I voted. So yeah, what? So done. be done with it. Yep. And they're uh, in office. They're going to make these policies, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to have to deal with it. Yep. And, totally. You know, and we don't, and I think right now we don't have enough money or influence to really participate at the level that can change an election, to be honest. You know, there's just, once you get to a certain level of, influence you may have a little bit more ability to impact an election but i just think right now that's not something we can really drive we can vote we can you know be educated we can stay up on certain things but uh, at some point it becomes a complete waste of time i mean just a complete waste of time in my mind for me you know i have a lot of other things and other people may feel like they you know that's a bigger thing for them and they they could be right you know for them and it's just we all have to make our own decisions on what we want to do every day and support and that's one of the beautiful things of this country is we have the ability to do that so yep. and it I, must be pretty slow at the office yeah I, I agree <laughs> with the founding fathers of the land of the opportunity and we are so lucky to be raised in this country um, and we are very fortunate. So, you know, we're just, uh, we're all trying to figure it out at the end of the day. We're all just trying to get through it. Yep. It's pretty crazy. And hopefully hope there'll be some resolution soon here, but it's honest to God, no skin off my back. If there isn't, it's not really going to impact my life. I, I can think of no scenario where if this takes another two months to sort out, where it has any actual impact on my life. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm the same way. There's like a, a policy except for like the social conversation, you know, and I'm not going to say that like 
the content of a social conversation is really going to affect me materially because that's a choice about whether or not I participate in that. It's not like a policy that is being imposed on me that I have to deal with. You know what I mean? No. And it's actually very, I mean, socially, it really wasn't when, you know, when we were growing up, it wasn't cool to talk about politics, you know, no, but now it's very cool. Now it's like, well, there's the in crowd in certain senses of the world, certain senses of the social circles. But what's interesting is I'm noticing people that are starting to do that are alienating themselves a little bit more. You know, there's just this sense, and I've been hearing a couple examples of people that have been kind of going off the deep end a little bit, getting a little too into it. And people are backing up away from them, which I hope so. There should be yeah. ramifications for your actions. You, you, you would think, but <laughs> one would think. Would think. <laughs> I think there are always ramifications for your people's actions. It's just a matter of do they see it or not? You know, because some people are just completely unaware of what's uh, happening. Yeah. Can you give me an example of one of those? I think of the Lady Gaga one video. I don't know if you're are talking about something else. Oh, I'm thinking more of like personal examples. Oh, like in your immediate social group. Yeah, immediate social group and extended social group. You know, there's been there's been a lot of chatter around, you know, I won't hang out with people that have voted for this type of person or something like that. So it's just like that's been escalating quite a bit. Wow. And I think people are starting to uh, starting to back off a little bit. That's that's pretty that's pretty it's it's hard to be around um people like that so i have a i have a group chat that has been pretty active throughout this process and uh, we have a gathering on saturday so it'll be fun to see all those guys um you know because there's going to be a lot of things said and um hopefully you know we won't be i i don't know I'll, I think I'll excuse myself from a lot of conversations, but uh, I got a couple of good comments locked and loaded. One of them being, uh, you know, we can just kind of kiss this whole police brutality thing goodbye now that Biden's in office. We shouldn't expect any more, you know, harassment. Uh, the, every police department has radically changed overnight. So that's good that we solved that one. Um, yeah, that, really- uh, the good thing is that didn't take much. Yeah, it was way easier than I had thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy that one person had so much control over that, which was, well, well, that's totally missed it. That's the interesting thing is what will happen when the next unarmed black man is shot because it's going to occur. What is the response going to be? Who are you going to be pissed at? Good question. Somebody. Somebody is going to have to take it. And if you got blue all, or, or is there no response that will be the most interesting social experiment ever, which I, I don't think will happen. No, I mean, I, because I that would be the most blatant expression of political of, 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 well, let's just say, what is the media going to cover? I mean, that's true. a big part true you may not even hear about it you won't hear about them anymore yeah which but it would that- be it would be the largest ever or most visible like 
form of cultural appropriation I can think of, which is I'm going to use the sufferings of your culture or I'm, I'm going to use it for the advantage of a political party. I'm, I'm going to like make gains in my own self by riding the coattails of your culture's suffering. Like that's what it would be if there was no response throughout a democratic reign, which I don't think will happen, but it would just be so obvious that like, okay, wow, you were actually, or these initiatives are expressively political. They're not social in nature, which would be a shame, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the, and that, that's something to watch for in the next, you know, I get it will start in January. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting because I think the virus will still be around. So we're still going to be going through a lot of this. So there's still, you know, my sense of this is the virus has caused a lot of this unrest because people are so frustrated by not having things to do and activities. And there's, you know, I was just driving through, dropping a friend off and a part of uh, Minneapolis, one of the twin cities. And they've been talking about a lot of carjackings and there are a lot of young kids. They're like 13 to 18. You're kidding. Yeah, they're oh, crime rate is up huge in Minneapolis. Yeah, I think you know when kids aren't in school, there's not a whole lot for them to do, and they don't have a lot of money. It's just there's a lot. This is just so I think we're what what that what that means to me is we're going to be able to see this in the next uh, you know three to six months how things change or if they do change. You know, we'll be able to watch it, which I can't predict because who would have thought? I mean. Who would know what, what to even expect at this point? Now it's just, we just kind of live with it and you identify what happens and keep moving forward. But man, it's, I think you're right. That's a good, uh, that's a really good thing to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing you mentioned was that uh, you hung out with some people and they did not know about the vitamin D coronavirus connection. Yeah. So there was uh, a couple of people I've talked to very like smart educated people, great jobs, you know, they're just really, what, what, what astounded me is they didn't understand. Some of them have heard about vitamin D and one of them said, yeah, and my stores, we can't keep it on the shelves. What's going on with that? And I just was talking about how there's a huge correlation between vitamin D deficiency and inpatient um, visits and hospitalizations from the coronavirus and you know, if you are vitamin D deficient, you have a much higher likelihood of struggling with the virus. So we were just talking about the importance of a being outside and they were, I mean, they're asking me like, you know, what do you mean? Like 30 minutes a week? I was like, no, like 15 minutes to 20 minutes a day, you know, like a lot more time out there. Cause I didn't think about this, but they're like, I'm inside all the time. You know, they don't have dogs to go totally. out on walks. And so quarantine is like the absolute best way to make yourself more susceptible to death from the virus. Unhealthy. Yep. Yep. We should, we should be outside getting sun, working out, exercising. Yes. Should we limit transportation and wear masks? Absolutely. Should we eliminate congregating in large spaces with large amounts of people or small spaces with anyone totally totally but we should not be um prioritizing you know inactivity or inactivity think, mm -hmm. yeah 
because we, you know, our, your, our bodies are, are very reactive to the things we do every day. So sitting in front of a computer, watching TV all day, you know, refreshing CNN all day, trying to figure out what's going on in the election. It might be better to be outside getting some sun. And right now in the twin in, in Minnesota, it is November 6th and it was 76 when I was outside today, which is crazy. And it's really amazing. And we are so lucky that we have that. Um, it's just a unique opportunity to be outside and enjoy something in November. So it's like, that's a, it's a good way. And it also, from what we've read and, you know, it's, we're not, we're not doctors, so this is not medical advice, but um, vitamin D is a huge part of just staying healthy in general too. Um, everybody knows about the, the winter blues. So that's a huge vitamin D thing too. So yeah, in Iceland, I believe the government distributes um, fish oil with uh, large amounts of vitamin D to their population because of the lack of sunlight. And it's like standard that people just drink these fish oil things all the time. Hmm. So what did we can make it even actionable for people listening? What what amount of vitamin D should somebody be taking? I don't know. Um, I take 5000 IOUs a day. But, yeah, 4, uh, that's usually like the standard dose. Mm-hmm. I take 4,000. So you can buy these at any type of like a fresh time store, a vitamin shop. You can buy them at Costco. You can buy them pretty much anywhere. Well, and you saying that these folks don't know about the vitamin D link to coronavirus. For me, I feel like that has been one of the seminal pieces of information that like I've known for a super long time about coronavirus and, and it makes me think about how much I am not in mainstream information flow. Like apparently I get my, I, I knew that I was like on the fringes, but when I think something is like standard knowledge, I just have to return to the fact that the vast majority of the world probably has no exposure to that idea. Yeah, it's true. And you know, the, when I started talking about it, they became extremely angered and frustrated with the traditional media. And they just said, how have I not known about this? And we are talking about this virus saving like in, in, you know, and, and I was talking about how when they were stuffing ventilator, you know, the beginning of the virus was a ventilator craze and how that was actually killing people. And, you know, what are the treatments for ventilator or for coronavirus? They're, you know, respirators and turning people on their backs or on their front. You know, there's just like different. And I know there's a lot of different treatments, so I, I won't get into that. But what they were saying, frustrated is like, this is a simple thing that everybody can do you know, and it's fairly healthy. So. And um, one would think the purpose of the media is to disseminate information that to is of value. Yeah. To inform. Mm-hmm. And um, this has been a frustration of mine for a very long time. And I'm very curious to see the change in tone of the liberal media, because most media outside of Fox is left leaning and, um, I mean, I, outside of Fox and the Wall Street Journal, really, everything else is left-leaning. 
unless you get way out on the fringes. And um, I wonder if there's going to be a tone change around coronavirus being like, oh, it's not like the world is burning and everybody's dying on the streets and you're going to, you know, I wonder if it becomes apparent that coronavirus was a tool in that the media used to incite um, unrest and unrest and win the election because I think it's a very I think it, if that is true it's very possible that it worked like you know it, it worked and then I can't wait for the conspiracy theorists to come out and say they're waiting the Democratic Party was working with the Chinese to get Donald Trump out of office because he was too hard on them on the trade deals. <laughs> This is a conspiracy oh theorist like dream. This is. Uh-huh. We'll see who comes up with it first. It's going to be Alex Jones, but I don't know. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he said some crazy stuff that turned out to be really true. Like um, what? I, I didn't watch it. Oh, man. Um, Bohemian Grove. Uh, apparently, there's a documentary on this place in. Um, the in louisiana where a bunch of elite people have gone and do these you know like sex orgy devil worshiping like ceremonies yeah and a ton of people have any alex jones went to one he snuck in and he saw them doing this and then um he called it out in his show and was like you know, Bohemian Grove is a real thing. We've seen these people. They get senators and powerful people into compromised sexual situations and then exploit them. And then you do that and you're part of the club and then you like get to work in more inner circles because they have, you know, you with a young girl on photograph. And so you know that. So you know you're towing the party lines. You know what I mean? Oh, so this is like an Epstein thing. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. And it is very real. Uh, I believe there's a documentary about it. And it's like, this shit happens. This sick stuff really happens. It's not just, it's not, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Not, you know, sure. People yeah, nobody are, just made that up. It'd nobody really just made that, up. made that up. Yeah. It'd be very hard to make that up with any sort of semblance of, you know, it's sticking around for as long as it did. Well, too, and and then now this like Epstein thing is like that's t- that, there's tons of shade and shit with that one. It's wild, man. Um, that's a that's a pretty crazy um, occurrence, and it's just you can see what people are trying to do. You think of like let's just look at a computer hacker; they're looking for a vulnerability in your computer and this is what somebody's looking for these vulnerabilities in these powerful people so they're trying to exploit or like hack these senators and powerful people to take advantage of them it's the same thing just a little different that's probably what they you know this has probably been being done in the human with humans for ages you know long long time uh there is a post that shows up on uh reddit every once in a while that 
talks about Gary Webb. Uh, Gary Webb was a investigative journalist who exposed uh, CIA hiring drug traffickers to sell cocaine on the streets of the United States to finance untraceable terrorist organizations who were trying to overthrow the Nicaraguan government. And um, he released a bunch of articles and tried to get people's attention. And it was just a blip on the radar. And then he ended up with two bullet wounds in his head and it was ruled as suicide. And you're like, holy shit, this stuff happens. How can you shoot yourself twice? How do you shoot yourself twice? And that is just a message that the CIA is putting out to say, we'll just come kill you. Yeah. I mean, we, well, there's a movie, Kill the Messenger, with Jeremy Renner on that. Have you seen that? I have not. I think it's on Netflix. Is it good? It's very good. Mm. It's scary because what you do, like I immediately dove into it all and was like, is this true? And it oh, was. This might be about Gary Webb, actually. It is about Gary Webb. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Interesting. Yeah, the CIA drug trade. It's real stuff, man. Yeah, it's scary shit. Good thing is we don't, we aren't involved or know anything about it. (laughs) You know, just in the Midwest, we're pretty lucky. Yeah, we are a flyover country. It's a great place to live. Holy shit. And speaking of it being such a great place to live, that's why housing prices are just absolutely kicking ass. Bonkers. Up and up and up. If you are trying to buy a house in the Minneapolis area or metro area, your asking price is 15% or your your um, offer is what, 10 to 15% higher than asking? Yeah, and that just, and asking has got been increasing too. So um, we just bought a house and we actually are, going to be and we're going to be moving to the suburbs we're doing like uh i'm not copying joe rogan but i'm moving to a different state um and so we've been looking for houses and one thing that we learned was you needed to have all of your ducks in a row so that meant getting your financing situation set up all your money ready to rock so that because we would do a lot of tours and it's like at 5 p.m you need to submit your offer. You know, they call it um, highest and best at, you know, 5 PM or noon or whatever time it is that day or the next day or whatever. So you have to like lock in and figure out if you want to buy the house. Wow. And there are, you know, five, six offers. We were very lucky to get our place. Um, That's what it takes to have good quality real estate representation. Um, It helps you get into the right neighborhoods and know the right people and can get things, get things done, but you definitely needed to be decisive. Um, and that's one thing that we committed and just said, we got to find something we like. And we saw a lot of different places, but the market has been, there are a lot of times where we would walk into a house that was, you know, cause we're not looking for a very large house right now. We're just, we're trying to look for a new place where we can grow into it a little bit, but we don't need the big mansion. So we're looking at a very competitive um, I'd say like price range and there would be people that'll come in and just drop lots of cash just to buy these houses. I mean, to the point where the realtors come back and are like, you weren't even close with your offer. And we were, you know, if you're five, 10% over offer, you feel pretty good about things. And then (laughs) say you're not even close. And at this point you're, you know, you can't, the, the whole process about 
getting a, an appraised value, you can't get a loan for over a certain amount. So, you know, you have to be putting up cash at some point and that we've been hearing some stories of people that have been, you know, they offer something, but then they can't get appraised. So it's just kind of a shit show. So that's, it's very competitive and late lumber prices are double what uh, they usually are. So building a house is really expensive. We've, we looked at building a house and uh, they are saying that the, some of these building companies are, are getting turned upside down. So they're starting to jack the prices up because they signed a contract six months ago for a price. And now it's, they're not making any money on the new house. So, wow. Yeah, it's, it was um, quite the adventure. And, you know, one thing that we, we did is we committed to it and we kept searching. We found a really good place. We're really excited. Um, and we're in a good, good spot, but man, it, it requires a lot of work and we've, we've been saving up for a long time. So we're ready for it, but it's. There's so much demand in the market. It makes me think that I wonder if there are any protections against people just going around and swooping up homes and literally just flipping them by not even doing anything. You would have to have the infrastructure in place, meaning you have a realtor, you know, like you don't have to pay the 6% fee because, or whatever, and you have all of the cash on hand. I wonder if people do that or if it's even legal. I don't know. Day trading houses. Day trading houses. If the price is going up that quick, we're looking at like a 20% annual increase. I mean, it's not unrealistic to, I mean, it's an, it's an illiquid acid, but asset, but not really if you are liquid in terms of having all of the cash just to put it down and then wait until you get it in return. I don't know. That well, that's me, what uh, I was talking to a guy who's thinking about, he bought a house less than a year ago and he's thinking about selling his and buying a new one. <laughs> Cause he's just like, I, he's like, I looked up <clears throat> on uh, Zillow, the high top estimate and it, you know, that's way, you know, it's 10% higher than what we bought it for. So I might as well just, he's like, maybe I'll just throw it on there and see what happens. I don't think there's anything that could prevent day trading houses. I don't know. You, uh, somebody called me the other day and asked me if I would sell my house for cash. Uh, and they said, what would you take for it? And I threw out just an absolutely blasphemous number. That's like three times higher just to see if they would bite. And yeah, they didn't call me back, but I was like, how much, how badly do you really want it? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. They called you and asked their, their yeah. people are searching. They're searching. Well, you have a, you have a really good location. You, you did a nice job searching that out, but I think one thing we were learning too, is location is so important in real estate and everybody that's like the, the oldest joke in the world, but uh, there's a lot of good locations that people are looking for and would buy a lot of different houses in. Uh, so that's, that's uh, you just gotta be smart. And instead of buying like a cheaper house in a location that, you know, maybe isn't the best buying in a good, good location. And one thing we were really, really focused on was what is the neighborhood like? You know, what is the surrounding community like? What, uh, 
you know, does it have a nice downtown where you can hang out? I think one, one thing we were talking about is cities that don't have downtowns like suburbs that are just suburbs. It's, you know, they're just, sometimes you don't have that feel of uh, a community there. So I'm thinking of a couple of examples. I won't name any names, but there's really no downtown or kind of central gathering place for the community. So it just, people just kind of stay in their, in their bubbles. Yep. Um, it's a good time to buy a house. I, I have been listening to some uh, podcasts. I really think that there's one that is called the Grants Interest Rate Observer, and it's just an outstanding financial podcast. And they've been very bull bullish on the market. Uh, and everybody is like looking at the stock market going, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's so overpriced. It's so overpriced. First of all, the U.S. Treasury market is three times larger in size than the stock market. The stock market is like not the end-all be-all of the economic engine that people think it is. There's yeah. so many more other financial instruments out there that people are not taking into account. And there's been all these inflationary concerns, but the um, rate on a 10-year CD, I believe, is 2.5, which is essentially what your expected target rate of inflation would be um, based on the market. And um, that's exactly where inflation percentages should be. It should be at two. So it's not like, it's not like there's a lot of inflation that the market is forecasting. So I think that we're going to enter into a period of pretty rapid ex economic growth for the next, I don't know, two to three years, maybe when, you know, things start to open up more, but people have been continuing to say when things start to open up and the stock market continues to break records. So I don't know. Yeah. And I, again, it's going to be interesting to pay attention to what the market does as we change and move through the virus and what happens. The hard thing that I'm starting to be like, I, I, I don't think the, the market like the, the government has that massive of an impact on the market. I think when you put these companies that, like, and I think we talked about this in the last episode, you think of like Amazon, which has come in and provided just immense amount of value for a population. You know, like you just think of what Amazon has done for small businesses with their cloud sharing, you know, for inventions, you know, there's just a whole downstream effect of that company that has created a lot more wealth, you know, and then these politicians all take credit for it. You know, Google did it. You know, a lot of these companies have come in and created massive wealth. And then the, you know, the government takes full credit for it. It's like, what, what did you do? You know, you changed a rate, but is that really like, cause I think in the end, like creating value is what pushes markets forward. And, you know, like Tesla, for example, maybe they figure out, how to do in renewable energy. That's what somebody I was reading about thinks that's going to be where the next big money comes from is renewable energy. And I think we, again, talked about this last time, but it's these things that I think move a population and a market forward. So it's really hard to just listen to everybody saying, I, I you know, I caused the markets increase, you know, and there's probably, there's a lot more to it, but I've been reading a lot about that lately is, what what defines you know success in a market and the timing of some of these bigger companies that 
basically take the some of these ratings on their backs and drag them up. That's uh, pretty impactful. No kidding. Well, um, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.